Navara FM, brought to you by Navara Media and Resonance 104.4 FM, London's number one radio station. If you find yourself listening to Resonance frequently and would like to support the station, you can, as I've said the last several weeks, always make a donation by going to resonancefm.com forward slash support. The rest is relatively self-explanatory. For the other emerging media titan, Navara Media, you'll be able to find this show on the website, navaramedia.com, very shortly after this is broadcast. And if that isn't enough, you can always follow us on a number of our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and soon Instagram. What is more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, and you can, of course, keep up with the BuzzFeed of the left, Navara Wire, which can be found at wire.navaramedia.com. A very pertinent article today's discussion was posted up, I think, was it yesterday or two days ago? Mm, two days ago. By Craig McVegas, editor of Navara Wire. So, today's discussion, what is it? It's about <clears throat> whatever happens to the anti austerity movement. And that conversation, I guess, is uh, in response to the tens of thousands of people that marched through central London last Saturday in a protest at austerity measures introduced by the coalition government, seemingly four years too late, perhaps. The demonstrators gathered before... This is a blur from the BBC, by the way. Gathered before the Houses of Parliament, where they were addressed by speakers, including comedians Russell Brand and Mark Steele. An estimated 50,000 people marched from the BBC's new broadcasting house in central London to Westminster. <clears throat> the process was coordinated by the People's Assembly, with assistance from the left of the trade union, particularly from what I saw, the NUT. A spokesman spokesperson for the People's Assembly, which organised the march, said the turnout was a testament to the level of anger that there is at the moment. Uh, that same spokesperson added that Saturday's action was, guess what, just the start, with a second march planned for October in conjunction with the TUC, as well as strike action expected next month. Uh, and that demo, for all the, the, the criticism or the slander that might be thrown its way, or you know, some of the kind of um, uncritical optimism that seems to have accompanied it, that demo did represent the first major protest by an organisation that might not be characterised as an embedded regime institution like the TUC. Uh, It was the largest non-institutional protest since the non-NUS student protests in 2010 and to a lesser extent 2011. Um, And I think it is significant that this was a larger protest than anything that came off the back of the more horizontally organised Occupy movement of 2011. Uh, But, but, and I, I, I do want to add the caveat that much of the show is, and the points made in the show are made in a, a comradely manner, some of us felt like the record was a little bit stuck. Um, here's a quote from Claire Solomon, People's Assembly spokesperson. Love Claire to bits. I'm going to big her up uh, elsewhere on the show. She was absolutely fabulous during the student movement. Knocked dead the news night when she was on it, but I have to disagree with this. Quote, it's essential for the welfare of millions of people that we stop austerity and halt this coalition government dead in its tracks, dead in its tracks, before it does lasting damage to people's lives and our public services. While I couldn't agree more, this is a statement that's being said four years into austerity. So it just doesn't seem... It just seems at odds with reality, essentially. Mm. Stop it dead in its tracks. You know, it's like this this great quote that you see sometimes. Like, Not one cut until the bankers pay. You know, well, there's been four years of cuts. So already you've kind of un- un- undermined your central message there. So on today's show, um, we're going to ask how the anti-austerity movement, which began with students, innovative direct action, and did include the TUC organising a march of a half a million people. There were later strikes that year, very large strikes around November 30th. We ask how, at a stretch, did it culminate last weekend in a march of 50,000 people? Uh, and is that a good or a bad thing? Whatever happened to the anti-austerity movement of 2011? James, so let's start with your thoughts, I guess. How does the anti-austerity movement start? Where do you like its beginnings? Where are we now? Well, yeah. Um, This is a difficult question to answer, of course, because the anti-austerity movement is necessarily a broad coalition of sort of people demanding different things, defending particular services, defending against particular cuts, along with attempts to to, uh, articulate uh, these sort of instinctive defences politically. Uh, and so, so you have certainly at the beginning of of this period of this uh, the period of, uh, of sort of post two thousand and eight really, uh, uh, you have organisations which have now sort of rather disappeared somewhat. But it's it's worth remembering that they existed. Things like the Coalition of Resistance and things like this. Mm. Um, and and this is one of the things that struck me reading a lot of the stuff. And I I I. I, I before I get into this, I guess two things that are worth saying. One, 
for personal reasons, I I wasn't at the demonstration this weekend, so I'm relying on going through sort of footage and, and these are reading highly personal reasons, and, right? Uh, yeah, yeah these people throw stupid reasons. comments your um, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, and so so this this means that I'm I'm necessarily coming at it at, at one remove. But you know, I mean, I've been on demonstrations many many times. Um, they, they are uh, they do have uh, things in common. Uh, the second thing here is that it. it it's a rather difficult atmosphere at the moment in terms of sort of figuring out how to articulate criticism without coming across as um, either bitter or jealous or, or, or simply, uh, you know, desiring to do uh, uh, damage to the movement out of spite or, uh, uh, you know, some sort of misguided sense that uh, uh, <laughs> being rude about things is going to uh, uh, change things. And, and you know, I, I don't mind being rude about things. I, I often am. Um, the problem here is that is that all criticism is seen as you know, an attempt to do down the movement. It's met with this rather defensive sort of, well, what are you doing? Um, I, I, so I want to prefix this by saying you know, the criticism here is, is, is from a position that says, okay, I think this is reasonable thing to be doing but also at the same time i think there are things wrong with it and there, i think there are things mm. about it that that are actually you know uh, detrimental um to, to to what its stated aims are so let's begin by i was reading you know one of the accounts of the demonstration that said uh uh, uh and and the reason i'm talking about the demonstration is that it, it, this tells us about what's happened in the, in the past four years um and the thing that struck me about this account that I was reading is that it had this line in it saying, Saturday was a good start. And I thought, start? Yeah, how is it suddenly ground zero again? Because I remember reading very, very similar things. You know, four years ago, after you know you have your first wave of sort of UK uncut style protests, after you have the student staff, after March twenty sixth, the, the big trade union demonstration, people for yes, profit. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, and you know, I mean, this is uh, this is also things. That the, the, you know, this kind of thinking goes back further, mm. right? It goes back to the G twenty demonstrations. Mm. It goes back before that. So it's always already again ground zero, right? It's always already again the start of a movement. Um, and and I I wonder about this that what this says about this particular leftist way of thinking um, that, that we're always at the start, right? Because, you know, uh, it seems to me to, to, to demonstrate that there's a kind of paralysis here, right? Because we're, we're quite good at getting people together for the first time and, you know, using that, that first wave of, of anger um, or, or, you know, that, that you know, <laughs> periodic wave of anger to go, okay, we're going to have a real movement this time. It's going to do this. Uh, and it's, it's always accompanied by this kind of amnesia, um, which is, I don't know whether it's an expedient amnesia or whether it's a, a you know, a genuine sort of uh, 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 you know, failure to reckon with the inheritance of the past four years. Um, but, but either way, it doesn't seem particularly helpful to me. Mm. The other thing I, I want to say here is that there, there are kind of standard criticisms from both sides, right? I mean, the one is, is uh, one critique that I, I tend to sympathize with, partly because of my political background, um, it is this sort of... Uh, th this is uh, another A to B march, like all other A to B marches. It has as its... Um, uh, uh, as its object, as its object of protest, uh, a large and sort of uh, rather abstract thing, this the austerity. Um, it, it, it is using slogans, as you say, that, that, are, that are very old, that have been used time and time again, that, that bear you know, increasingly little um, resemblance to, to any kind of political reality. Um, so, so you have uh, uh, this, on the one hand, this kind of critique, this, this critique of the kind of you know, standard, every few years, march against bad things, march against evil, mm. uh, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, the way in which these are highly regimented and have it there and a sort of array of speakers of the great and the good who, 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 who say nice things and then sort of uh, everything rather dissipates. Now, to, on some level, I think, you know, uh, this is a good critique, but, but also slightly inadequate to the kind of thing that the People's Assembly is trying to do with the anti-austerity movement. I don't know whether it is successfully doing it or not. I think that's an open question. Um, on the other hand, you have uh, you know, largely the, the sort of attack dogs of various left groups who are invested in various parts of the anti-austerity movement. The accusation that when one raises critiques that one is carping from the sidelines, because of course raising any criticism uh, is necessarily to, to remove oneself entirely from the movement um, because criticism is always the criticism of an outsider. This is not in fact true, um, but it's a very easy way of dismissing well, look at Craig. Critique. I mean, Craig wrote that piece, right, and he came in for loads of, loads of criticism from a load of counterfire people online. Look, whether you like it or not, he has been involved for years, and you know that, mm -hmm. you know, it's just the... 
uh, it's a complete word for close and critique. Sorry, James, go on. Let's, let's, so, so let's, let's concede that the both sides have, have an element of truth. There's often in, in a lot of critique uh, you know, an element of you know, the green-eyed monster. Uh, and there's, there's, there, you know, in those critiques themselves, there's often a, a substantial element of truth to do with sort of top table speakers and you know, the great and the good and these rather pointless and, and stage-managed marches. Um, so so let's, let's concede that. Um, and, and let's also say that what, what, what the People's Assembly has done uh, is, I think, significant in terms of, the, the, it, as you say, it's the largest demonstration for a long time, and it's probably the largest demonstration of the anti-austerity movement that hasn't been organised by something like the TUC. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that is not easy, but it is also, given the nature of the British left, not that hard. Um, because ultimately, the British left can mobilise for big events once every few years. The British left is generally pretty good at that. Uh, it's what happens next. It was, it's what happens after that. It's what happens you know, among those groups when, when they go back to where they are, where, where those local groups are based, what they do there, what they do in their workplaces. What they, so, so this kind of, you know, and this is sort of standard uh, question, really. Um, I mean, my objection in, in, in to a lot of this is that, is that it, its mode of association it is largely one that is um, that I would call sort of uh, uh, political discursive uh, rather than social and economic. And what I mean by that is that it's a grouping of people who are largely of the same kind of political persuasion. Uh, there's a spectrum, but, but I mean, I, I think it would be accurate to say that a lot of you know, th- th- these people are of the left of the, t- the, the trade union movement, mm-hmm. left of Labour Party, left groups, so sort of... Are, Rather old school left groups, um, uh, and and so they, you know they're gathered together on the basis of their political affiliation, um, rather than attempting to establish um, or, or, or grow that within uh, you know pre-existing social formations. So so you know where they live or work or whatever. And, and you know partly that's the nature of political groups. This this often happens like this. But but, but asking the question about how that 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 divide can be bridged is, I think, a worthwhile one. Um, so I don't. I mean. So you have this on the one hand. Mm. The other thing I suppose that's worth talking about is is the question of effectiveness of demonstrations like these and about uh, what they're supposed to do and how effective they can be mm-hmm. and what they're supposed to generate. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I want to talk about precisely that, but if you've got any other point, I, mean, I want to talk about, you know, because it's easy to seem like we're just castigating trots here and counterfire and uh, people's <laughs> assembly. But at the same time, as so many times on the show before, we've, critiqued it's kind of very flaky horizontalism Mm -hmm. um which those same organizations try and sort of they try and push push up push us into that same category um i don't just dismiss out of hand the protest repertoire of the demonstration Mm. Uh, it has its uses it had its uses in the civil rights movement it had its uses in the lgbt movement it had its uses in class struggle across the world over the course of the last 150 years clearly i'm not dismissing it and i don't cast it at all Demonstrations as an as a A to B march. I don't think that the TUC march on March 26th is the same as a protest by you know miners in Maracanã um, if they're marching from one point to another. I don't think that's the same protest repertoire um, because that's a, that's and that's significantly it's about a certain kind of relationship to a regime. Um, you said about the British left. I mean, this is an interesting point. It was a big demo. It's fifty thousand people. I'd like to know how much money went into. Uh, into building it and how much that came from the trade union movement. I was involved in the NCAF demo in 2011 organising that. We got 8,000 people out and that was off basically two grand. So people really wanted to come. Two grand from the PCS, fair, fair enough. Unite didn't want to touch it with a barge pole, right? Obviously, Unison didn't want to touch it with a barge pole. You know, Unite really did not want to touch this. I was going to Unite you know, HQ and talking to certain people, nobody would like, even talk to me. Met one guy, you know, had a chat, yeah, I'll do this, never heard from him ever again. And that's because that demonstration had a very particular ne- relationship to the regime. And that's why, incidentally, 8,000 people were policed by 4,000 cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Because it came two and a half months after the riots, two months after the riots. It was a year after a very militant, large, unorganised, quote-unquote, student movement. So that process could have been very effective, and if it had the kind of money, the kind of institutional backing from those actors, it couldn't have had, because it was dangerous. But if it had had that, and that demonstration was 30, 40, 50,000, mm. by the way, it went to the city, yeah, you would have seen perhaps the stuff you saw in Westminster on December 9th, 2010, you'd have seen that in the city of London. And yeah, that's the front page of the Financial Times, so that can't happen. James? Yeah, I mean, there are, there are a couple of things that I think are, are worthwhile to talk about, just in terms of this this 
this question of, of strategy or, 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 or protest repertoire, or however you want to call it, this tactic of the demonstration. Um, I, don't, I don't think demonstrations are a bad thing. I think they're, they're generally very good. They're certainly not the be-all and end-all. And, and what, I, what I, in fact, in fact like um, is certainly among sort of uh, people I know who are involved in, in sort of local branches or, or of the People's Assembly or local assemblies or whatever, is that, is that, is that um, certainly the best of them are, are very clear about the sort of rather ancillary function of these large demonstrations. That, that I like. I don't know whether that's something that permeates across the organisation. Unfortunately, I rather doubt that it does. Um, there, there, there have been, of course, these complaints about media blackout, and it's not something I want to dwell on. Um, but what I will say is We're that, talking about it, James. Yeah. yeah How could there be well, a media blackout? <laughs> uh, I, what I will say is that, you know, thousands of leftists marching through London on a weekend is rather a, a dog bites man story, even if it has Russell Brand at, his, at its head. Um, the, the other thing to say here about demonstrations is that, is that there's a really rather... Um, Irritating uh, argument that emerges between the sort of uh, uh, sort of anarchist or anti-authoritarian left and uh, sort of the Trotskyist or uh, 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 institutional left, uh, which is to do with sort of peaceful versus violent or you know uh, direct or uh, confrontational demonstrations. And and I think you know one of the things that's worth asking about this is is that okay, so if these are the, the two options that we have, right? Um, so I think it's fairly legitimate to say yes okay so walking you know, in one sort of miserable trudge from one end of London to the other to hear endless rather tedious speeches by people that you that are not even remotely surprising who are addressing an audience that largely already agree with them um, that is sort of debilitating and sort of rather sapping of energy yes okay of course that's bad on the other hand uh, so, uh, you know, it is worth saying that as enjoyable as it might be to sort of rove around London smashing things up, and as much as I think it, it does send uh, certainly a more dramatic message, um, it. This is only, I think, good as a negation of the first thing, right? So, so the first thing is, is that you know you're going to trudge passively in sort of a stage managed sort of uh, or, or, or formally oppositional uh, uh, kind of action. The second thing is saying, okay, it's clear that this kind of demonstration doesn't achieve anything really in and of itself. Um, it doesn't serve as the kind of warning or the kind of demonstration of strength um, that, that we would like a demonstration to do. So, what we're going to do instead is refuse this and take this kind of um, you know very very sort of direct and sort of uh, very uh, <laughs> obviously oppositional uh, stance. And we're going to do this by damaging property. We're going to do this by uh, refusing to be policed in, in, in this way. And I, of course, I think that is good and I think that's worthwhile. But but to me, it remains within the terms of that, mm. that, that first that, that first. Uh, 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 way of demonstrating, right? So it says, okay, th this is what you do, and this is a way to make it more radical, more militant. Uh, two things to say about that is that, that yes, there are long arguments to be had about sort of substitutionism here, right? That, that you know, this question of sort of episodic uh, uh, demonstration on the streets taking the place of you know, a broader and, and, and far more powerful movement. And I think it, it is often a sign of weakness when the only thing you can do is actually go to the streets every so often and smash something up. The um, only thing, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, very, clearly, very powerful movements have historically done that. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. But when it's the only thing that you can do yeah. that's when it's dangerous yeah. the other thing to do here is to say okay but let's take let's take this one step further let's see okay if we have people who are willing to do this then how much more powerful will it be if it's connected with a movement that does have local power that can do that can use this kind of willingness to step forward like this mm. um to do things like uh, reappropriate goods uh, that can do things like uh, you know uh, 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 really <laughs> distribute uh, uh, or expropriate things. Mm -hmm. So 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 this is so the other thing to say here is of course that that you know let's let's put this kind of willingness to innovate um, and to, to sort of refuse the, these kind of sort of standard or, or habitual uh, so-called protest repertoires uh, and say okay but let's refuse our other habitual responses and say yeah. okay what can we do that's interesting and useful and actually takes the struggle forward and can be inspiring yeah. uh, and can be replicated and that I think is one of the things that 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 it, it's odd to me that that groups like the People's Assembly which are you know are wanting to be I think sincerely and honestly wanting to be uh, something to really push this struggle forward aren't willing to really innovate in that sense and uh, I find I find that strange and frustrating yeah I mean you're right I mean I'm not saying that's obviously the uh 
the kind of logical conclusion of effective political action is going around smashing things up, obviously. And I, and that's, I, I, I hope people know that my politics is a little bit more um, sophisticated than that. What I want to talk about actually is, you know, that's a, in, in relation to that is you've got, to say, the, let's say you've got the demo we saw on Saturday and you had March 26th black block, right? Okay. Now, actually, as a social movement scholar, I put that hat on. These are both performances. Right? Now, whilst the media and even some participants on the black block would like to frame it as really dangerous and sexy, you know, it wasn't. You know, uh, As an ethnographer, I was there, you know, uh, and these weren't, nobody was really trying to hurt the police. You know? They were trying to perform this kind of antagonism. You know? The riots, on the other hand, you know, clearly the, the welfare and the safety of uh, agents of the state, either police, was it compromised. Yeah. There was people really wanted to hurt one another, and that was a, da- a difference I saw between that and this militant quote unquote black bloc. That was a performance. That I'm not castigating that as a performance. Politics um, and social movements are based to a large extent on performance and performativity. Um, but that, in a sense, like you say, is something that characterises the the protest repertoire of the demonstration. And you're right. This is not. This is just the negation of the thing that draws so much ire of these people, as opposed to, as you may go on to say, the negation of the negation. Uh, and we'll clarify, <laughs> trying to avoid that we'll clarify that point later. Um, I, I just wanted to quickly say as well, because pe- maybe some listeners are like, what the hell are you talking about, anti-austerity movement? Uh, no idea what you're talking about. Let's say that I think between 2008 and 2012, there was um, an emerging anti-austerity movement um, that drew sucker particularly towards the end of 2010 from student movement and you can cut um, and there was because I think of the use of the technology at the time a really quick diffusion in terms of targets memes protest repertoires political propositions needs diffused within a broader assemblage I think again technology had a lot to do with it in the run up to the March 26th demo called by the Trade Union Congress there's an argument to be said that actually this is a very politically astute thing for them to do to draw a lot of the energies from these movements that's arguably the power of laborism stepping in um Certain strands, particularly within the student movement, really did believe that the unions would step in organisationally after December 9th. You know, and now it's time for the battalions of Labour. It's kind of very bizarre militaristic language that's mm. sometimes employed by the radical left. Um, but look, none of those choices were inevitable. Those were strategic choices, almost all of which I believe after December 9th were bad ones. You know, this idea that the occupations would stop, uh, we now go and do... In the, somehow this became like a dominant argument, I remember. I didn't want to go out of occupation at UCL on December 10th, right? You know, this became like a really dominant argument. You know, now Labour will step and we go to anti-cut scripts, and now it's an anti-austerity movement. We should have said absolutely no way because people forget January 25th there was a student march 10,000 people it was organised with no money it was was like you know people SMS and Facebook it was really nothing no organisational infrastructure whatsoever what should have happened there I think was something more proximate to what happened with Classe in in Quebec there was a a possibility there um, that could have won demands throughout higher education but also could have um could have created a whole sediment of effective activists and organisers of talking tens of thousands of people across the country, which would would have really had a massive impact on British politics for a very long time. Also, of course, would have inspired a lot of other people, both within and outside of incumbent organisations, to look at themselves and go, are we doing well enough? They're clearly not. James? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to return to, to, to a question of sort of what I perceive as various tensions within... Uh, the sort of broad anti-austerity movement, which is also broadly uh, the, the the movement of the radical left in in in, uh, in Britain, um, and this is and this is partly to say that there is a there is a question that I think is always worth asking people on uh, uh, on the radical left or people involved in the anti-austerity movement, uh, which is how do you think change comes about? How do you think political change comes about? What's your theory of or what do you think uh, are the ways to achieve change? And I, I'm going to let that question just sort of hover over us mm. for a bit. Um, and I'm going to actually leapfrog the question of celebrity other than to say that um, I do think there are serious feminist questions to be asked about having a man who uh, harasses women at work uh, as as your sort of grand star speaker. Um, I think that is an important question and I think that question cannot be left behind in terms of political expediency. So that that let's, now we've said that, um, here are the sort of uh, axes on which I think there's uh, some conflict or some tension within uh, the movement. One is the question of visibility versus organisation, right? And I think one of the things that, that animated the anger at the lack of uh, or absence of media coverage uh, was precisely this this notion that that one has the demonstration in order to be seen, and that's you know a legitimate desire to be seen as uh, a strong and 
and extant and active movement and to use those channels of media to, to get into people's houses and, mm. and get into the papers and get into you know, places where, where one can be seen. But the question that always strikes me here is, 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 is visibility the sole criterion by which we judge the effectiveness of a movement? How does visibility come about? Uh, is visibility you know, necessarily the one thing that we should be aiming for? The, other th- the thing on the other hand is to do with organisation. And if you have here, uh, and you know, I was saying this at the top of the show, this this question of you know, political discursive or, or social economic groupings, uh, you know, the, the, whether your, your combat is is uh, basically one on the, the train of ideology uh, and policy, or, or whether it's to do with actually organising people and organising people either within their communities or within their workplaces, and that, that question, the, the the sundering or division of those two, is I think a real danger. So. Of course, you're going to get angry about visibility if your only strength is how much you can be seen. Uh, So the danger here is really relying on the media to do your work for you. You're going to have to do, you know, (laughs) far more intense organisation to really achieve those aims. And look, I mean, I've looked at the People's Assembly's aims. They're not bad aims. I think they actually don't go far enough. And I think think that you have a harder time selling people on sort of policy solutions than you do um, actually sort of uh, uh, roots of anger. So anyway, I'm going to leave that to one side and say, okay, visibility versus organisation. That's that's one of these axes. The other one here, and it's one that uh, that applies beyond the People's Assembly. I'm not singling the People's Assembly out for, 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 for um, criticism here. It's one that can apply to many groupings across the radical left mm. and beyond. Is about group reproduction uh, versus uh, setting goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is this is one of the, the, the pitfalls that small groups fall into a lot of the time. And by small here, I mean anything from you know ten people to. Mm, 1,000, 1,500 people, you know, that, that, sort of, that sort of level is to do with group reproduction, i.e. Uh, ensuring that the group continues, to, that the brand continues, that the... Um, Accumulating resources. Yeah, so, so that, 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 that that kind of turnover, that the group, the most important thing is that the group continues to exist and yeah. it can be the bulwark against, um, uh, against the vicissitudes of time. Uh, the other, this often gets in the way of and is often in tension with um, achieving realizable goals, small goals, and saying like, okay, what does the group exist for? What does it exist to achieve? Mm-hmm. Uh, and does our focus on uh, recruiting, does our focus on, you know, uh, getting a certain sort of subscriber base, uh, does our focus on, you know, uh, making sure the group's name is out there, get in the way of this? Um, and again, that's to do with, you know, what your theory of change is, what your belief about, like, how this comes about. It, you know, if you believe that, you know, getting your name out there and getting enough people to say, yes, I agree with these people, um, is is enough to bring about change, then then obviously your goals about, you know, group reproduction are going to be different to, to that question of, you know, whether you believe that that actually is insufficient. Mm. Uh, and so so those are those are intention and, and often sort of, you know, uh, um, in resonance in, in, in lots of weird ways. Uh, so, so, I mean, there, I guess, is a question of figuring out how to use the structure to meet those goals. Uh, the, the, the last sort of uh, uh, question here I, I, I'm interested in uh, seeing as attention or seeing as, 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 as sort of a, a, a question that gets sort of uh, uh, submerged and then emerges in sort of moments of conflict is to do with like broad versus radical left or, you know, the question of like uh, how open you are about your beliefs. Because it's, it's interesting in the number of people I've, I've talked to who really like a lot of the stuff that, that, that's going on here, who are into this notion that, okay, like you can get um, or into the notion of a, a sort of popular assembly uh, in the sense that, you know, it would be great to have, you know, in your local neighbourhood, you know, people coming together, you know, let's say every week, every month, whatever, mm-hmm. to, to say, you know, okay, we live here and we want to, you know, be able to, to do these things. And, and that sort of, you know, fundamentally radical kind of uh, local democracy in one sense. Um uh, but then there's this, this notion that uh, one shouldn't impose on these things any sort of political vision, any kind of political desire on the part, you know, on, on on your part. You shouldn't argue so vociferously. You shouldn't be openly sort of leftist. You shouldn't be openly communist. Um, this kind of, so uh, and and that that instead, um, a, a far more effective and naturally. Uh, left politics will emerge simply through discussion. Um, and, and my question here is like, you know, okay, th- this may or may not be true. I've never seen it completely work in that way. Mm. Um, I, I'm much more interested in saying, okay, like, I believe the things I believe because I believe they're right. Mm. Like, not because 
you know, you know that that they're sort of merely uh, uh, you know one among a series of uh, equally valid options. I believe certain ways of looking at the world are and that's ethics, right? yeah. But yeah. also, like certain ways of looking at the world are less accurate. Um, you know, I, science. Yeah, <laughs> uh, proletarian science. Um, <laughs> so there is the question here about you know what happens when people feel you know, a year or two years down the line that suddenly you've been taking them for a ride or you've been disingenuous or that you've been deceiving them about what your true aims for the movement are. Um, you know, that's always a tension here. And that's, that. I mean, it is a, it is a dangerous one. So yeah, I mean, those, those three things, um, you know, visibility versus organisation, reproduction versus achievement, and, um, you know, radical versus broad left, those are, those are three things I think are really important questions. Yeah, I, I'm going to respond to those points. Um, the idea of organisation, you know, I, it's something I, I'm going to be writing about a lot. You know, it's the idea of the meme versus the organisation before you laugh. You know. um, obviously, the question about organisations seeking to reproduce themselves rather than achieve the objectives for which they were set up in the first place goes back to the beginning of the 20th century literature that comes out of, uh, I think it's Michel's Iron Law of Oligarchy. The idea that you set up an organisation to achieve a certain end and then it has to create a permanent secretariat and they're more interested in about their own personal welfare and maximising their own interests and accumulating resources for the organisation, etc. And that comes at the cost of uh, not pursuing the objectives as well as they otherwise should do. I think actually more recently um, there's a different story going on here which is about the meme versus the organisation. So if you look at You Can Cut, the You Can Cut is both an organisation that begins within 24 hours of its first action uh, on the 27th of October. Within 24 hours, there's the creation of a WordPress, a set of social media assets, um, the agreement to meet regularly, a core coordinating group, all these things, right? So the organisation is set up. That's still an organisation. It's one that we're not necessarily literate with because, again, technology means that the ontology of an organisation is very difficult to understand these days, but it's definitely an organisation. Our, you know, the children, our children, the generation that will be our children will be far more familiar with that than we will. Um, so that's the organisation. It formalised. At the same time, there was an action 24 hours after the first one in Leeds, and that organisation didn't know anything about it. And they used the exact same protest repertoire. They shut down three Vodafone stores in Leeds. Um, and they didn't know the people who were doing it. But these were people they didn't know who were imitating the same target, the same grievance, the same protest repertoires. Now, before digital communications, that isn't possible. That process takes weeks, uh, months. It takes an organisation if you want to do it quickly. The idea that people who don't know one of them can do it in 24 hours is the last 10, 15 years of human history, essentially, right? Um, maybe you could say television, but again, still not that quick. Um, so the meme diffused just as quickly as the organisation was formalised. And actually what happened is, as the things progressed, was these two came in tension to one another. Because the more successful your meme diffuses, the less control you have over it. So I'll give you an example. The meme of You Can Cut, so a social movement can be characterised by a set of protest repertoire tactics, a target, a grievance, and displays of wonk. This is Charles Tilly. Worthiness, unity, numbers, cause. Um, let's put wonk to one side. Target, grievance, tactics. Right Now, these can all diffuse through digital media actually very quickly. So the ontology of a social movement, like an organisation, is really difficult to pin down now. Huh? Um, so the more successful these memes as a social movement diffuse, the less control you have over them. So example is, you can cut the meme diffuse so successfully that at the UCL occupation, the first action we actually did, the first protest we did, wasn't about fees. It was about tax avoidance because the frame they had employed so effectively was around tax avoidance and the cuts. So we were saying, you don't need to... In 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 increase um, higher education tuition fees because, you know, there's tax avoidance, right? Excuse me. <clears throat> it's a really useful frame. I've got a frog in my throat. I think I'll be right. It's a use really useful frame, you know. Um, and so we did exactly what they did. We chose a target. We chose the grievance. We did a protest, but not a Vodafone. We did a top shop because we were very familiar with Philip Green and Arcadia Group's tax avoidance. So we innovated. Uh, and the day after that protest, some people came from You Can Cut. Uh, they sat us down, the people they see on the video of this protest, which uh, a few 20,000 hits on YouTube, whatever. And they said, that, guys, it's a great protest, but look, you kind of can't screwed up because that's our next target. You know? You let the rabbit out of the hat. So the organisation there was at odds with the meme, you know, because they no longer had the control over where innovation came from. And look, in a perfect world, if your movement is really successful, there'd be millions of people identifying the same target and using your tactics yeah, and using, you know, and going around the same grievance and innovating. Yeah, and it's going to be 
bridging all kinds of groups you would never even know exist. Mm. You know, the pensioner in Cornwall, uh, the fracking processor in Balcombe, young kids in Lewisham, you know, uh, you know, Iraq war veterans in Newcastle. You know, people you can't even, their subjectivity you can't even conceive of, right? It would be bridged. Um, but the organisation, you know, the needs to reproduce that organisation come in opposition to the kind of diffusion of the meme. And that's something I think organisations really need to think about in the 21st mm. century around digital technology. James? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you uh, in, in that sense that the organisation is the clearinghouse for sort of tactical decisions or uh, in that sense is, is partly just the inheritance of 20th century militarism um, and yeah. you know the notion that, that the class war must be conducted as the kind of war that you have on a battlefield, right? You have generals sort of telling you where to go and you know, foot soldiers who are expendable that i think is rather dangerous and rather toxic um i i do have a thing that the question of organization is 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 actually much more to do with failure and much more to do with repression much more to do with how you survive those things um because i i think it, it becomes clear to anyone that once you start to mount things that are that are not even necessarily actually any kind of existential threat to the state not any kind of existential threat <laughs> to the rule of capitalism it, it's even when those things that look like the kind of first tiny pebbles that could be you know the beginning of of of, of an avalanche as it were yeah um it's it's like people want to, to to stop those in their tracks immediately. This means that, um, you know, effective organisers in industries, uh, effective campaigners, uh, people who become prominent in street demonstrations, mm. these people become subject to police, surveillance, harassment, yeah. abuse, violence. Uh, they get dragged through the legal system and the courts. Um, and the role of organisations, it seems to me, is to be able to... to uh, uh, ensure that people don't you know that it is a collective struggle rather than one that that features you know prominent or charismatic individuals mm -hmm. who can then be picked off and, you know so those, those organizations um, enable those people to to do their thing which they're good at but also you know protects them uh, and ensures that they're actually part of a collective movement you know rather than sort of following the you know the uh, uh, whims of their own ego. ego. Can I respond to that about yeah. the, the thing about police? I mean, it's, it's charismatic leaders, but it's also people that for the first time take a risk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, you know, see these fracking protests in Balkan, I think 78 arrests or something, or the Fortnum and Mason 138 who are arrested. These would be often people who've transgressed for the very first time, you know, conditions because they're genuinely new, like they have been since 2008. Lots of people, increasing numbers of people, make that decision to defy the law. Um, and, you know, it's taken me a while to realise it, but you can't hand on heart ask these people to do that unless you know you've got their back. You know, mm. you have to have their back. Uh, one of the few things I think I'm really grateful for in the last several years is um, a GBC Legal. You know, the the 240 odd arrests, uh, 280. I can't even remember now. Tower Hamlets. You know, it's 280. Yeah, it's coming mm -hmm. on 300 arrests. 280 odd arrests. Uh, Tower Hamlets anti-fascist action. You know, almost every single person's name was taken down. They had the requisite legal advice. Um, uh, I think there was a real reassuring process going on as well for their friends, their loved ones, their families when they were picked up that there was something going on here that they were being to some extent looking after and they weren't um, alone in that process. Now, imagine if we could affect that same process for the riots. Now, there'll be some liberal listeners out there who will say, I'm not going to say even liberal, centri you, know, you know, reasonable people, you know, that's how they quite sort of frame their politics, reasonability. They'll say, but you, know, you shouldn't be looking after these people. Look, if you're interested in the rule of law, if you're interested in the rule of law, I can absolutely assure you there was no greater collective breach of the rule of law than the riots in this country in the last 15 years. Second, the second greatest collective breach of the rule of law in this country was how those riots were treated. Mm. How many people went down with no evidence? How many people took duty solicitors and were told to plead guilty to things they hadn't done? How many people were intimidated and arrested and were detained longer than they should have been? How many people weren't aware of their rights? So, you know, it was unbelievable, you know, that you, I mean, you're better at uh, articulating this than I am. You know, the 24-hour courts, you know, the levels of, you know, just absolutely astonishing intimidation onto people's friends, you know, and family and all kinds of things. Now, if you care about the rule of law, you know, yes, you might 
might be upset about the riots, you should also be very, very upset about how that was dealt with. You know, a good liberal, to my in my understanding, should be going out there ensuring that the legal rights of the restees should be observed by all parties involved. That means um, the party who was subjected to whatever criminal a, 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 a act they've committed, also you know the the, the the arrestee. You know, in the US, it's really easy to put that in a kind of constitutional frame. You know, these are my civil rights. You know, I have a right to remain silent. I have a right not to prejudice um, what may become a, 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 a case in a court of law. In the UK, if you don't say anything, the cops go, "What are you hiding?" Mm. You know, the general public goes, "Oh, if you're not talking, you've got something to hide." And it's like, well, actually, this is this is like a constitutional right in the states, James. Yeah, and there's a couple of things I, I sort of want to say. I'm aware that we're, we're constrained for time. We have sixteen minutes. Yeah, um, and. So I want to dwell on this, this notion of the meme, right? The, 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 the theme or the uh, object of, of protest, this, this anti-austerity. I think, I think it's good in that it's, it's become more or less a code word for, uh, <laughs> for the government. Uh, and and that's, that's, that's cool. That's, I have no problem with that. Um, but I think it's bad in that it means that you're, you, you are sort of against bad things. Um, that, you, know, you have to ask think, the question, okay, what does a mass movement against austerity look like? What, what is the concept of massification in, 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 you know, in contemporary conditions? And that this, this notion of, sort of austerity and being against austerity, um, which, again, I think is good, but I think doesn't go far enough because it permits an argument about austerity itself, and, right? And that it poses this as kind of basically a technical problem of government, one that a government has got, because there's a lot of argument about this. Like, oh, the government has got it wrong. They wanted to get it right, but they've got it wrong. Uh, and I think this is, this, is, this is not actually true, right? Yeah. I mean, so you have these arguments about austerity and functional capitalism. But we've, we've had that argument a lot, so it's probably, we can probably leave that to one side. Um, there's, a, there's a series of broad questions that I write out this morning that I, I wanted to ask people because I, I think they're good and some of them are combative and some of them are, are not. Um, and, and so the broad questions that I always have, uh, okay, like, so why is it that demonstrations seem to produce this effect? Um, will a future Labour government undo the policy changes of the past five years? Where is the civil disobedience McCluskey, Sawatka and everyone else has been threatening for the past five years? How do we protect what has not yet been destroyed without pretending the welfare state is anything like sufficient in its current condition? How do we stop simply defending and therefore losing? Um, is there a pol- politics of the People's Assembly uh, and this que- you know, a question about you know, uh, the... the um, uh, vocabulary we we use like sustainable and fair and things like that. Mm. Um, you know, why is it that uh, contemporary strikes seem to end in failure or abandonment by the unions? It, why are the unions so deeply centralised and why are the conflicts that they approve of uh, so deeply stage managed? Um, is workplace struggle safe in their hands? Um, should we leave it up to them? Uh, what do you want the future to look like? Uh, not next year, but in 10 years, 20, 100. Uh, and where is it headed at the moment? If you had to explain to someone why you're involved in what you're involved in, how would you? Does it convince you? Does it sound true? What is an assembly for? Uh, and as I say, you know, my, many of these questions are things that can be broadly applied to people involved in things beyond the People's Assembly. It's a list of questions I, I think that are worth uh, asking anyone who's on, on the left at the moment. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, augment that. I had, a, I had a little list as well. I remember this kind of Navarro Wire things going a bit overboard. Why did the anti-austerity movement fail? Firstly, like you say, repression works. Uh, secondly, a, diston- a dishonesty about leadership. I mean, to have that conversation, I think, more generally about leaders and leadership in the 21st century. Thirdly, the failings of horizontalism. And I think this seems to me to have led to a kind of political messianism, both organisationally and individually. You only need to listen to the speech of Russell Brand made last Saturday to hear that. I mean, quote, the people of this building, the House of Commons, generally speaking, do not represent us. They represent their friends in big business. It's time to take back power. This will be a peaceful, effortless, joyful revolution. And I'm very grateful to be involved in the People's Assembly. People don't want effortless. They want significance. They want meaning. They want to participate in something bigger than themselves. That is the history of every social movement that's ever gotten anywhere, from the civil rights movement to the Chartists to religious orders that precede capitalism, right? So you're an idiot. Anyway, nobody needs to know that. You know, it's, it's old, old news that Russell Brand's an idiot. Fourthly, an absence of meaningful allies powerful of the British Labour movement to undermine activity. These are not serious people. Dave Prentice is talking about 1926, but he is a non-executive director of the Bank of England, as is Brendan Barber, the former head of the TUC. Barber has cooking lessons with the former governor of the Bank of England, Mervyn King. These are not serious people. They are a joke. No, I'm not going to... You know, they matter because of their, 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 their social functions, but these are not serious individuals. Do not take them seriously. 
They are clowns. Labour are not the US Democrats. And in general, the UK, because it's still a semi-feudal regime, the institutions are far less amenable to newcomers, new contenders, both in media and politics, uh, than they are in the US. The US is much better at sucking these in. That's a good and bad thing, I think. Fifth, an ideology that the technology means we no longer need organisations. So these are not just criticisms levelled at the state socialist, democratic centralist, trots and so on, also anarchos could take a lot from mm. them. So, quickly, what needs to happen? Um, and we, you know, we talked about it. I, I'm just going to say very quickly three things. Yeah. First one, demands. Demands historically are what bridge disparate groups who don't talk to one another. Demands. Yeah. Now, demands seem really boring. You think, what kind of demands? You know, oh, abolish tuition fees, okay, oh, no, whatever. Yeah. Okay, if you said price controls, oh, what does that look like? You coffee, fifty P. You cannot buy a cup of coffee for more than fifty P. You cannot buy a cup of coffee. You know, the best coffee, fifty P, you can't charge more than it. But how are they gonna make a profit? Well actually, if you're a business in London, most of your overhead is rent. And we're gonna choose rent caps as well. So all that money that's going to the rentier class means that your cup of coffee is going to be cheaper instead, right? That's a really easy way. They were doing this shit. They were doing this. Excuse my language. My apologies. They were doing this stuff until the 1960s in Western democracies in state socialist or, you know, um, state capitalist countries. You know, so demands, sexy ones, good ones, good ones that matter to our lives. Um, um, Sorry. Secondly, recognition of assemblages. What drives change, it seems, are assemblages of both organisations and individuals. Those organisations can be adapted from previous contexts to new ones. They could be wholly new. But we need to understand that it's assemblages that change things. That can include political parties. That can include think tanks, lobby groups, trade unions, a Facebook group. You know, it could be anything. It could be all kinds of things. That's what it looks like. Great book by a guy called Rasmus Kleiss-Nielsen about assemblages in US politics. Thirdly, this is my final one, James. Demands are the most important one, though. I really can't stress this enough. Sexy demands and a, a, whole, a wholly critical and utopian idea of what a future might look like. We have the technology. We can build a civilization that really is absolutely astonishing. We haven't got the, the political software, quote-unquote, to make it happen. Uh, so, yeah, thirdly, um, alongside the recognition of assemblages, is obviously the, the need to create new institutions. And I think, I'd like to think Navarra Media is part of that. I'd like to think that Navarra was one institution in that media ecology that could join these assemblages and advance these demands amongst dozens, hundreds. That's what should be happening. We're not interested in becoming a new kind of Fox News. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to be happening. There don't seem to be many of these kinds of institutions occurring. Spain, very different story. I've been reading a lot about this. They're popping up all over the place. Maybe things will change over here in the U- UK, but it's not seeming to happen at the moment. And that need, that recognition for new institutions comes off the back of recognising the necessity of demands, recognising how assemblages work in the new context, and recognising the limits of regime institutions here in the UK. The NUS, the TUC, the NUT, you know. And I like, I actually was quite, in a way, glad this demo happened last Saturday. But be under no illusions. The funding, the organisational resources for this stuff was coming from regime organisations that have very little interest in changing anything at all. And, you know, if People's Assembly want to send somebody on the show and take that claim on, they are more than welcome. James? Yeah, I mean, I guess I have a, a couple of things here. One is the, the this, this notion that, that, right, like things... You know, the, 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 the people seem to be waiting for for things to get worse, and that's you know things will get worse. But the point is that it's not going to be a sharp break. It, you know, the, the 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 real disaster is that things continue just like this. Continue sort of sporadic opposition. That they, they, that it's always ground zero. That it's always a good start, right? As I was saying at the top of the show. Um, there's also this question of sort of the anti-political nature of a, a lot of this stuff, right? Mm. Which I think is good. Like I like. Um, good anti-politics, right? Which which expresses contempt for um, uh, formal the sphere of formal politics as uh, delimited from the rest of humane social life. Mm. Um, the, so this notion that, that politics is simply the preserve of uh, you know uh, a few experts, and that what we do out here is simply go where we're told um, and, uh, and and put some pressure on them when, when, when needed, but we basically leave it up to them. So this notion of politics, even of a sort of extramural, extra-parliamentary politics, that the, the, the role of people um, is to just push your representatives to do um, what, what you want them to do. I think that's really dangerous. So I think there's a good anti-political moment. But there's also, you know, obviously, a, a dangerous anti-political moment, one that ends either in sort of revolutionary puritanism um, or deep and abiding cynicism. Both of these things, you know, they're the kind of misanthropy of, of, of much of the 
the embittered and, and uh, you know, uh, perhaps rightly so embittered left. Uh, so, so, so that that is that is of course something to be aware of. The other thing I would, I would say is the, the weird deployment of time and deadlines and urgency here is that there is a there is an urgency to this, but the urgency is not you know like um, come and do what we tell you, otherwise we won't defeat austerity. Like the the project is much bigger than you know needing to to subscribe to to, to this stuff. It's, it's much more important than that. Uh, there's other stuff to do with you know that that you know whether we we aim for a sort of egalitarianism within the context that already exists whether we aim for emancipation from that context, which is to say that the, the specter of 20th century socialism really does need to be junked. Um, it, it's, it, not only is it uninspiring, but it's you know, a promise of like, greater democratically administered misery. You get to continue in your like, <laughs> stultifying, uh, alienating work, um, but for the greater good now, instead of for a capitalist good. Like, this is not a sufficient object, right? Like, there is, you know, it's very important to have this critique of, of, of work and wage labour, which I don't think often exists here. And it's an argument that needs to be had. It's an argument that needs to be won well, as left well. left unity is still advocating a 40-hour working week. Yes. Um, so bananas. I, <laughs> Go on, James. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, what I would say here, and, and the, I mean, it's something that I, I'm, I'm going to you know, probably write about in the coming weeks is, is that there are two strands here. One I think is is that matter of direct economic confrontation. One uh, direct economic confrontation that is suspicious of and refuses mediation. The other is the logic of um, survival pending revolution. It's an old Black Panther phrase, and um, which, which says that okay, we cannot rely on simply the institutions of the state to to, to uh, take care of and, and enable the, the reproduction. Um, uh, of, of our class because <laughs> you know th- th- it's not interesting that and that it's it's going to become increasingly unable to do that it's going to be in our hands uh, and in the hands of you know <laughs> everyone else like us to 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 be able to survive in order to do the very basics that that will enable us to to do something more fundamental and far deeper the other thing that i will say is that there is something quite interesting going to happen here i think if 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 the People's Assembly, for instance, were to develop really, really, you know, massively, if it were to really suck in all the people it wants to suck in, then there will be, and I think it would be a good thing, a tension between the centre of that movement and its periphery, its so-called periphery, you know, its fundamental uh, local groups, local assemblies. And I think those local assemblies should uh, attempt to overstep their bounds. They should be undertaking sort of pedagogical action. They should be attempting to organise in their communities. They should be taking action without um, the permission of... Uh, the the schedule of you know the the the, the central organisation because you know if you look at their action schedule it's a kind of standard leftist sort of occasional demonstration you know uh, from issue to issue really rather uninspiring um, you know there's there's much more interesting things that can be done in terms of like really pushing beyond uh, you know this notion of like the the the, the periphery. It, exists in order to bolster the centre. Actually, the periphery should pull power from the centre entirely. And uh, so that I think is you know really you know, fundamental. I, I think. Hopefully, we're getting to the point you know, where the last flowers have really fallen off the chain. So, like, there is everything to really, really push for here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that question. Let's let's ask those questions about the relationship between means and ends. Let's ask you know, what we're going for. Let, let's let's say that actually, okay, if you're going to have a rad- radical message, that's not done by positioning yourself like two degrees to the left of like the centre left. You 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 go for what you believe in and what you believe to be true, and you push that. And you know, don't deceive people. Don't lie to people and you're going to find it, 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 it that's going to be far more interesting and far more fundamental and far more politically useful than than you know uh, things as, as they stand yeah we've got three minutes left here on navara fm here on resonance 104.4 fm i mean the, the thing i never really got and this kind of sums it all up to me as well in a sense was you know the idea that a lot of direct action movements in the last couple of years they'd give media training to people who'd done protests the first time media training you know and you, look in marketing the one thing everybody wants is authenticity <laughs> They commodify it. They, t- they steal this stuff from protest movements. You know, look at the Levi's ad, you know, and it's like, you know, they steal this stuff from protest movements. They, they want authenticity. It's the one thing that social movements have is vibrant enthusiasm, authenticity. And these are two sides of the same coin here, I think, actually, in, this, in the anti-authoritarian left direct action milieu comes at a climate camp and so on. And the organisation you're talking about, there is a, a desire that I think characterises both for the centre to control the periphery, even though only one really says it. So that's some credit to the trots. James Butler, as ever, thanks for, uh, for coming on. Cheers. Uh, my name's Aaron Bastani. This is Navarra FM here on Residence 104.4 FM. I think we're going to be away for a little while. We'll be back soon, I think in September, uh, with a lot of re- re- TV content, radio content, bigger, better, hopefully more money. See you then. Bye. <laughs>